This is the intersection. The intersection. This is the Intersection Podcast for Saturday the 6th of May 2017. Episode 13, Bringing Sexy Back. The Intersection Podcast is only made possible through the support of its listeners and sponsors. If you have a product or service that you feel may appeal to our audience, please contact sponsor at intersectioncast.com. Hello and welcome to The Intersection, the podcast that bridges together the worlds of tech and pop culture. My name is Jonathan Wildman and first of all, an apology, an apology that we weren't able to bring you an episode last week. Um, I was victim of the uh, rather um, uh, schizophrenic British weather and suffered a cold and thought that coughing and spluttering my way through an episode wouldn't be the best thing. But I'm back this week with some tech news for you primarily. Um, But first of all, um, a little bit of an update. Uh, our last episode, we had our resident film aficionado, Bronson Green, join us for a chat about the movies. And among our discussion, we did bring up the subject of James Cameron's sequels to Avatar, which have been pushed back yet again. Um, shortly after the episode, we did receive confirmation of the actual release date for his sequels to Avatar. Um, and obviously these are the US release dates, but uh, we will we'll expect the UK release dates to be around about the same time as as, as typical these days. But um, we these are all going to be sort of Christmas releases, and I do suspect that the original release date of 2019 for Avatar 2, December 2019, was pushed back to avoid Star Wars Episode 9. But that that's not official. But, um, I, you know, that's how these things normally work. They don't like to, uh, in terms of box office receipts, they don't like to cannibalize each other's sales, these big budget blockbusters. Um, but the actual release dates are as follows. So Avatar 2 will be released on December the 18th, 2020. Avatar 3 will be released December the 17th, 2021. Avatar 4 will be released December 20th, 2024. And Avatar 5 will be released, and it seems so far away, December 19th, 2025. So that's quite insane. Insane that there appears to be four sequels anyway, and insane that these things go so far off into the future. So only time will tell. Well, we've got two years, I think, but whether audiences are actually still interested in this franchise. But um, I wait with great interest. Now, ironically enough, I, you know, my theory was that Avatar 2 was pushed back to avoid Star Wars Episode 9. Um, it does look like Disney, with the release of 8 in December and release of 7 in, in, in December two years ago, um, are going for a pattern of a, a Christmas release. Um, but... Um, funnily enough, after the Avatar 2 uh, release date was announced, Disney uh, announced that uh, the release date for Star Wars Episode 9 has been changed. It was originally, again, supposed to be in Christmas 2019, and now it has been brought forward to the 23rd of May 2019, uh, which falls in line with the previous tradition of, of the original Star Wars movies and, and the prequel movies all being released in the summer 
normally around about the time of my birthday. That's why I remember that so well. So, yeah, we'll be getting episode nine uh, sooner rather than later. Now, back on to uh, tech news, and we'll start by discussing Samsung and the Galaxy S8. Now, I discussed the um, the release of this phone a couple of episodes ago, and some of you, you know, quite fairly um, have claimed that I seemed rather unenthusiastic. Um, now, that's mainly because I was very disappointed in the way in which Samsung treated the entire debacle concerning their Galaxy Note 7, or rather the exploding Galaxy Note 7 phone, which was recalled, relaunched, and then recalled again. Um, but nonetheless, I, I always thought that, you know, the market would respond uh, by avoiding Samsung's next flagship phone. Um, those who are and I'm not suggesting at all that they would sort of jump to uh, I, the iOS platform and then all go and purchase iPhone 7s. But I suspected that those who return their Galaxy phones or those in due for an Android upgrade would actually lean towards Google's Pixel. But it seems I was wrong. And it seems that um, Samsung's Galaxy S8 and Galaxy S8 Plus is on course to becoming their be biggest selling smartphone ever. Um, Pre-orders for, for the phones went through the roof. Um, and literally the, the largest sort of number of pre-orders Samsung's have, has had for any of their products. So it seems like the debacle concerning the Note 7 is quickly being forgotten. Um, now, I won't go into too much detail, but um, the Galaxy S8, as you know, um, features a rather attractive uh, bezel-less um, screen. Uh, it's an OLED screen, so it's bright and vibrant. Um, they did make a few mistakes from my point of view in that because they went for an edge-to-edge edge -edge screen design, they did not know how to achieve getting the, um, the fingerprint sensor underneath the screen. Um, so what happened was they were forced to move the fingerprint sensor to the back of the device, and it's actually close to the camera lens and... Um, it's a little bit awkward because you you can you know when you when if you choose to use um, your fingerprint to authenticate yourself, unlock the phone, or make make Android Pay or, or Samsung Pay payments, um, you may inadvertently touch the camera lens. And in actual fact, the phone actually does have a warning if the camera lens is it, it's some sort of sensor, but it does have a warning if the camera lens is too smudged and it advises you to clean it. So it seems like Samsung were kind of aware of this issue. Um, but like I said, the most attractive thing about it was the edge edge screen um the very sleek uh, curved modern design and you know there are other features such as the bixby personal assistant um but nonetheless samsung have done very well largest pre-orders ever on this smartphone um and there's a quote here from tim baxter the coo and president of samsung america who delivered the news saying at samsung we believe it is a privilege to make groundbreaking products that are enjoyed by millions and then have recommitted ourselves to innovate not only with new products and services but also in process the Galaxy S8 and S8 Plus are a result of that recommitment and the market has responded with a more than 30% year-over-year growth in pre-orders versus the record pre-orders we had with Galaxy S7, making it our best ever. 
The response is humbling, energizing and points to a great launch week. Well, yeah, I mean, it seems to be met with lots of enthusiasm and that seems to be an understatement. I've not seen many in the wild, but to be quite honest, it's early days yet. So I admit I was completely wrong about how the market would respond to Samsung's phone. Um, And yeah, yeah, so fair enough. I hold my hands up and admit that Samsung have indeed retained the confidence of consumers the world over. However, you know, I I won't lie and I've heard the experiences of some users and I've played around a little bit with the phone myself, a little bit, I'll preface that with. It's not all, you know, smelling of roses. Um, While the screen does look spectacular on the S8, there are a number of of, uh, flaws that can't be ignored. Um, There are a number of problems, actually. Um, I've mentioned the position of the rear fingerprint um, sensor um that's just wrong from my point of view um the uh the facial unlock seems to be broken and very insecure um it works well but it works a little bit too well in the fact that you can unlock the phone with a still photograph of someone's face and you know it doesn't know the difference um if you then want to try to go for a more secure method through the iris um uh, the iris uh the sensor um it it works, but it's slow and it's awkward to use. So it doesn't really work particularly well if you want to unlock your phone in a hurry. Um, Bixby, the uh, personal assistant, um, isn't ready, to be quite honest. Um, it's there, it works, but um, there is no voice assistant. It doesn't speak to you. Um, and, you know, you have to sort of type in your questions and, and they will respond in that way. The Samsung say that an update is coming to address that, but clearly they released this thing before it was ready. Um, other issues have been reported to me, um, such as um, there has been reports of a red tint display defect in some units. Um, the, um, now this one, I can't quite verify. I have to do a bit more detective work about, um, but apparently there is, um, a lower display resolution on, on, on the units, um, that is on, on the shipped units that has, uh, lower compared to what has been advertised. Um, and the reason why it has been shipped with a lower, um, resolution display setting is because of battery life and performance issues. So I'm not saying that, um, it has in general a lower resolution display than, than promised. But what I'm saying is that the setting itself, uh, because now Samsung allow you to change the phone's, uh, resolution, um, within the settings, um, the setting itself is not on the highest by default, um, now again, that's a little bit deceptive because they advertise that the S8 is capable of, you know, X amount of hours of battery life, but obviously that's not at its highest setting. So, um, it, while it's good, you get the flexibility, you can play around with the settings to achieve, um, a lot longer or shorter uh, periods of battery life. It is a little bit deceptive. Um, and so it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit underwhelming, let's just say. Now, Continuing with Samsung news and even more surprising, and this one I just can't quite believe, it appears that the Galaxy Note line isn't quite dead after all. Many uh, industry insiders uh, thought that what happened with the Galaxy Note 7, although it was a very capable phone, um, the whole issue with the exploding battery would do so much damage, reputational damage, to not only Samsung's brand, but that particular line of phone, that they would kill it that we wouldn't see another Samsung Galaxy Note tablet phone. 
But funnily enough, Samsung, perhaps after being confident, after seeing you know consumer confidence in in terms of the pre-order sales for the Note uh, for the Galaxy S8 rather, have announced that the Galaxy Note 8 is indeed being developed and will indeed be released at some point in 2017. Now, going by tradition, this will be typically for the Note phones around sort of the autumn time, sort of around close to the time Apple released their iPhones. Um, But then again, with the whole issue concerning the battery, perhaps Samsung might want to take their time. But nonetheless, they have confirmed that this is going to happen in the second half of the year. Now, in terms of what the phone has to offer, um, it's going to much like the um the s8 have an infinity display which is the um the bezel-less display the edge to edge uh, oled screen um it will because the galaxy note by definition have a larger screen so we're looking at screen sizes up to 6.4 inch which is actually quite large um but the edge to edge display will make the form keep you know keep the form factor uh, reasonably reasonably small um and we're looking at rumors of uh, PixelSense 4K resolution. Now, some of you may be wondering, you know, what what's the point of a 4K display on on a, on a phone, on a device that fits in your pocket? Or, um, well, the simple explanation would be for VR, virtual reality. Now, Samsung have their uh, Gear, Gear VR headset where you slot the phone into, uh, and when it comes to VR and using a phone as a VR display, pixel density is very important. The more pixels you have, the uh, the greater visual impact you have in the virtual reality experience. Now, as with the rest of the Note line, um, it will include the S Pen and have full S Pen support. Um, other rumors include um, them taking a leaf out of Apple's book and incorporating a dual lens system, much like the iPhone 7 uh, Plus does. Um, whether they use it to um, achieve a, um, a bokeh depth of field effect like the iPhone does, I'm not sure whether they use it for other purposes. It's too early to tell, but it does look like they're going for dual camera lenses. Um, and also, um, it looks like that they are hoping to figure out the whole issue with the fingerprint sensor by then. So, like I said, they struggled to figure out a way to get the fingerprint sensor underneath the screen, the you know, the edge-to-edge infinity display. Uh, so they had to put it at the back of the um, the S8, which um, wasn't a very good idea, I don't think. It, it didn't work too well. Then I've yet to hear someone who who's, has admitted that it works in any good way at all. Um, but it looks like they are hoping to have that worked out in time for the Note 8 launch. So color me surprised that they're actually the Note 8 isn't actually dead and 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 that they seem to, other than the obvious financial loss, um, have escaped uh, the fact that their phones were exploded all over the place um, just last year. Um, it seems like consumers are still enthusiastic um, for their products. It seems like they're still willing to shell out money on their products as seen by the S8 pre-sales. So, yep, it seems like the Note Note line isn't dead at all. Um, There doesn't seem to be any attempt to rebrand it because Samsung themselves referred to it as an upcoming Note. So um, we're we're looking towards the autumn, I guess, uh, for more details. Well, actually for a release for that one.
for some news from Redmond. Uh, Microsoft's forte into the computer hardware business continues to grow from strength to strength. Um, they have announced what had been rumoured for quite a while, but they have officially announced the uh, the release of a dedicated Surface laptop. Now, this is a laptop. This does this is not a tablet hybrid. It doesn't have a detachable screen, but this is a 13-inch laptop a 13.5 inch laptop with a touchscreen display and they're calling it the surface laptop now this is obviously aimed at um the the, the, the market in terms of uh, i would argue a more casual computer user maybe students um because this will this reminds me a lot what apple had been doing to be honest with you and it seems like they're directly coming after Apple. So this laptop will come in a variety of colors, uh, platinum, burgundy, gold, and cobalt blue. And it will actually ship with, and this is the second announcement they made, a new version of Windows 10. And I'll, I'll go on to that, uh, about that version of Windows 10 in a minute. But firstly, you know, this laptop, um, so Microsoft seemed to be targeting um, Apple, and they seem to also be going after Google in terms of their Chromebooks. Now, the difference is that although this is um, this is clearly aimed at the education market and, and the casual uh, computer user, um, I wouldn't call it budget. Um, it's probably more budget friendly than the Surface Book or the Surface Pro units that they have out there. Um, but it, the price certainly isn't a budget price. Um, so these laptops um, are basically... Um, starting at £979. They're starting at £979. And um, I mean, there is an educational discount, actually, um, if you are a student or staff at, uh, at university or college, which will um, lower that price to £881 uh, starting price. But that's for the base unit. Now, the base unit is um uh has an intel core i5 processor uh four gigs of ram and 128 gigabyte solid state uh drive now you can go up actually you can go up to the uh 256 uh gigabyte storage i5 model uh that has double the ram that has eight gigabytes of ram uh and that is a hundred well, 1249 pounds uh, with the student or um, educational discount, it is £1,124. Um, that one can also be increased. So you can have a 256 gigabyte model, but using the faster Intel Core i7 processor. Um, um, 8 gigs of RAM also, so that is £1,549. Uh, educational discount it is £1,394 and the very top model um, has 512 gigabytes of storage again an i7 processor and with 16 gigs of RAM and this is a whopping £2,149 uh, or if you're lucky enough to get the educational discount £1,934 now, you can probably see what I mean, that this is not a budget laptop. They, you know, they, it's more budget friendly, but it's not a budget laptop. So who exactly are Microsoft targeting? Well, um, they are clearly targeting uh, students and school administrators um, because of... And what's most obvious about this is this new version of Windows this laptop comes with, uh, which is Windows um, 10S. 
Now, the laptop itself, um, just, just, just to jump back and talk about the, uh, the price, to be fair, it is a sexy laptop. I mean, it looks incredibly stylish. And if you went back in time and told me, I don't know, 10 years ago, that Microsoft would be coming out with sexy looking hardware like this, I would call you a, a liar, basically. Um, this thing looks gorgeous. They have definitely been influenced by Apple in terms of attention to detail. Um, you can't see any visible screws. Uh, this thing weighs only 2.76 pounds. Um, Microsoft claim it has the thinnest LCD touch module ever. Um, and basically the battery life is very impressive. This is where it actually trumps the MacBook, the Apple's thin MacBook line. Um, uh, while the MacBook promises, I believe up to 10 hours of battery, Microsoft are saying that this battery will last up to 14.5 hours on a single charge that beats every MacBook in the market. Now, to be fair, um, the, well, this thing has a touchscreen and it doesn't come with, um, uh, the pen, the, um, the Microsoft pen, uh, but it does, it does support it. So you'll have to buy that separately. And I think that will cost you near to close to an extra hundred quid. Um, but to be fair in terms of this battery life, this is because it runs this new version of windows. I'll say it again, windows 10 S. And now I'm going to talk about windows 10 S. Now windows 10 S is windows 10, but the difference is that you are limited to applications, limited to acquiring and running applications only on the Microsoft store. Right? So let's say, what they used to call metro applications. You're only limited to getting apps from the Microsoft store. Now, the reason why they've gone down this route is because a, it's, a light, it's a more lightweight version of Windows and B, um, you uh, can achieve, if you are an administrator in education and you are issuing these laptops, um, you can achieve a tighter level of control. Um, you have tighter controls if everything is acquired from the Microsoft Store. Um, the, the students will not be allowed to sort of install um, any sort of rogue applications or, or dubious or unknown applications acquired from the internet, which means that it reduces um, um, any, any chances of uh, viruses or malware from in, entering the system. Um, and basically, also for the more casual user, they get a smoother experience. They don't have to deal with, oh, I download is something dodgy it's messed my computer up um, it's just a simpler more streamlined experience now this is what apple wanted to achieve by introducing the mac app store on their macbooks but that never really worked because the majority of mac users prefer not to use the mac app store and prefer to just get them at apps the, the old-fashioned way perhaps from direct from the developer's website um etc et um and so I can see Apple actually taking a leaf out of Microsoft's book and doing something similar with the MacBook line, perhaps restricting apps to the, um, the, the Mac App Store. I don't know if they'll be bold enough to do that. Um, and then perhaps only allowing their MacBook Pro machines to allow you to install apps from any source. Uh, but having said that, Apple kind of do that already in the sense that if you were to buy a MacBook, any MacBook, by default, the setting is only permit the installation of apps from the Mac App Store, but you can easily change that in settings. So Microsoft had this streamlined version of Windows 10, which comes with these Surface laptops. Now, if you buy a Surface laptop, um, you can actually upgrade to uh, the full version of Windows 10, the pro version of Windows 10 for free. Microsoft will allow you to do that. Um, and, and that's rather good. And that's rather generous of them. Um, if you um, 
if you have purchased, and Microsoft did announce that a number of third-party manufacturers will be um, releasing laptops uh, with Windows 10 S on there. Um, if you buy a laptop from a third-party uh, manufacturer um, with Windows 10 S, that upgrade to Windows 10 Pro will cost you um, 50 US dollars, they said. So I would imagine that'd be around 40 pounds. Um, so, I mean, why wouldn't you, if you, if that, if you're in the market for that, definitely get the, the Surface laptop. I mean, it looks lovely. Now with the prices, the choice is simply down to whether you prefer Windows or Mac OS, because it seems like there is no price advantage anymore for a top of the line, um, um, uh, or worry for a first party Windows machine. Um, so it, it remains to be seen whether students or um, educational institutions um, sort of uh, le um, lean towards um, these new Microsoft laptops. I, I, I would imagine there will be various um, discounts offered by Microsoft to institutions who buy these things in bulk. Um, they've also promised a way, uh, an easy way, um, a resource that uh, system administrators within schools and educational facilities can use to manage these machines. Um, so clearly that's their target market. Um, it does appear to be more um, impressive than the MacBook on paper, um, simply because it, Microsoft seemed to be very conscious of all the shortcomings of Apple's very thin MacBook. Um, in the sense that obviously these are higher spec machines for around about the same price. Um, and another criticism of Apple's MacBooks that is that it came with a single USB, um, a USB-C port. And while this um, Surface laptop also has a single port and, you know, bear in mind there is, there's not a lot of space for multiple ports like the laptops was before because these things are extremely thin. The criticism with the MacBook's um, USB-C port is that um, USB-C accessories aren't exactly mainstream yet and therefore the chances are particularly if you're a student you purchase a macbook you're going to have to purchase a number of dongles to um, convert usb uh, c uh, to the older usb format um, and it also if you wanted to output um, the laptop to, to, to an external display you needed a dongle to do that you, to, you had to work with the single port now the difference with the surface uh, laptop is that the surface laptop does have a single port a single usb port i should say but it's usb 3 so it's the it's, it's the old usb standard it's usb 3 speed um, some might say that's not very forward thinking i would say in terms of education it's probably correct because the chances are educational facilities are not going to have access to snazzy new USB-C devices. They're going to have the old USB standard. So there's that. But also um, there are additional ports on the Surface laptop. There's a headset jack, but the MacBook has that. And there is also um, a mini display port. So that covers your external display separately uh, and a Surface Connect port. Um, which is compatible with surface dial off-screen interaction. Um, so that's the dial that um, was introduced with the, um, the, the Surface Studio. So um, it does seem like um, a more attractive prospect on, on, on paper. And I think it will just come down to, because the price is so similar, what operating system, what ecosystem rather you prefer. 
Now, um, I did say, I just want to correct myself. I did say that Windows 10 Pro, an upgrade to Windows 10 Pro from a Surface laptop was free. It is indeed free, but it's only free until the end of this year. So until December the 31st, 2017. Um, now, if you get a Surface laptop, it does come with the usual one year of Office 365 personal, which will include um, access to the, um, um, the web versions of um, and the desktop versions of Microsoft Office. And bear in mind that when that uh, comes to an end, um, you will have to um, continue your subscription. Uh, but having said that, if you are in education, uh, Microsoft do offer some attractive uh, discounts when it comes to Office 365. And I believe that it also gives you, we see 365, you also get uh, a OneDrive storage, increased amount of OneDrive storage. So that that's, again, useful if you are a student or casual computer user. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that is the Surface laptop. Um, it's very attractive um, on paper. It really is. Um, and touchscreen also, um, if so, you get that kind of... Now, this is... You get that kind of tablet experience, I was about to say, but actually you don't because the advantage you have with a tablet is that you can take the thing away. It's very lightweight. You can put it on your lap. It can lie on a coffee table, etc., um, you can do that with a laptop, but it's much more attractive to do that with a tablet. Hey, you can lie in bed and read in a tablet very casually. Um, and so, which brings us down to the question, so this is a direct attack on the MacBook and what criticisms the MacBook faces. And when it comes to touchscreen, Apple have always said that they have prototypes of, um, they've experimented with uh, touchscreen iMacs and touchscreen MacBooks, and they found it hasn't been a pleasant experience. It hasn't been a worthwhile experience. It is basically a, pro um, a solution looking for a problem. And Microsoft have gone the other way and said, no, we're, not, we're totally going to support this. So you can use the touchscreen to uh, navigate your, your way around certain menus, launch apps, uh, to drag windows, to close windows, etc. Um, and my, my, my question is whether, um, is this really worthwhile? Is this really necessary? Um, does touch bring anything to the desktop experience? That remains to be seen. It does certainly bring some convenience, but I wouldn't say it's essential. Um, the, even though the Surface laptop has a touch screen, has touch screen support and supports the pen, the Microsoft pen, the experience is going to be very different to using a Surface Pro where you can detach that screen, where you can hold that screen like it is a pad and you can sketch on it like it's paper. Um, so these are a very different experience. Um, another thing Microsoft have done, and this is actually a masterstroke. This is a masterstroke for education. Um, Microsoft are not only including Office 365 and, and this Windows 10s, but they're including a version of Minecraft on the Surface laptops. Yeah, Minecraft, um, which I'm sure all of you are familiar with, all of you um, with children in particular are familiar with. Um, now, the reason why my, uh, Microsoft are able to do this is because uh, they did acquire uh, the Minecraft uh, franchise from um, um, Mohang, the, the, the developers, 
Uh, they acquired it for 2.5 billion. And this was around 2014. Um, and people thought this is crazy. I mean, it, but Minecraft has been a phenomenon. Um, it certainly has. It's incredibly popular with younger people. Um, and what they have done with this in the Surface Laptop is a master stroke. So with the Surface Laptop, you get a free version of Minecraft called Minecraft for Education. Education, you say, is just a game. Yes, it is a, a, a game, but um, this particular version of Minecraft is very clever in that it teaches kids, well, it teaches students um, math and coding skills to build things that will essentially enhance their ability to mine and perform more sort of tedious, time-consuming tasks in the regular Minecraft game. So that gives them incentive. So um, they get to enhance their game of Minecraft through learning, through learning about math and code. Now, this is a masterstroke. This is brilliant. Um, whether um, schools encourage this sort of thing, because schools do teach coding now. Um, I'm a developer. They didn't, keep, didn't keep teach coding when I was at school, but they do now. Whether schools actually, you know, allow um, children to, to, to use this thing in lessons to learn to learn how to code, I don't know, but I think it's bloody brilliant uh, and I give them full credit. Uh, so Microsoft are really, um, are really bringing their A-game. They're really bringing it to Apple. Um, gone are the days of Steve Ballmer, where Microsoft just made mistake after mistake. Sure, they were, um, you know, in a gratifying enterprise and making big money, but they seem to be a very more um, consumer-focused um, organization now. Um, and they have achieved a lot of mind share. You know you can now buy a Microsoft piece of hardware. I mean, you already trust their software, but you can buy a Microsoft piece of hardware and you will now get a premium quality experience. So how things have turned around is actually quite amazing. And they really deserve, and it, their new CEO, well, I say new, um, he's, well, he's only been three years into the job, uh, Satya Nadalia, uh, really deserves full credit for the, the complete transformation of fortunes that Microsoft has enjoyed. Now moving on to um, news from Cupertino, news concerning Apple. Um, it's not been entirely positive, to be uh, perfectly honest with you. But, um, you know, I, I am an Apple enthusiast, so I'm going to deliberately start um, with some very positive uh, Apple stories. Um simply because to remind us all about how they 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 can be a game changer and 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 how they can you know how they can lead the way and do very positive things in terms of the way we 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 use interactive technology now this story would have been covered uh, last week if i wasn't ill uh, so it's a little bit late um but it's a story that that uh, cnet broke um concerning uh, apple working um secretly uh, or maybe or not so secretly now um on developing sensors 
that can track the body's blood sugar levels. Now, this will help people with diabetes greatly. I am one of those people. I've been a type 1 diabetic for 27 years now. And the problem uh, with monitoring blood sugar levels um, is that it has to be done rather invasively. So it has to be done with blood primarily. Um, and what diabetics do mainly um, is to prick their skin, on so prick their fingers, um, draw a small amount of blood, put it on a testing strip, and the machine reads the blood sugar level. Now, diabetics are urged depending on the level of control. They're urged to do this uh, at the very least uh, before they eat anything. Um, some diabetics do it every two hours. And you can imagine um, how, 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 how that is on, on your fingertips. If you keep on doing that, you can develop calluses. And generally, it's just a pain in the butt to do. Now, there have been um, other innovations. Um, most people in the UK, where I live, um, who are diabetic uh, get access to the, um, the the finger pricker and the glucose monitoring machines and the glucose testing strips free on the NHS. There are a number of other methods um, which are a little bit more comfortable to the diabetic but uh, aren't covered on the NHS um, due to the expense and can be quite costly. And there's one that I use on occasion um, called the Freestyle Libra. And the Freestyle Libra um, in, it consists of a reader, and a sensor. Now the sensor is actually, you use an applicator and it plunges the uh, sensor onto your arm, your upper arm, and so it stays there like a plaster almost, but there's a very small fiber that um, goes in through the skin um, and and uh, sort of um, measures the residual fluid. Um, and it doesn't hurt, the, the applicator doesn't hurt at all. Um, um, the sensor stays on place with a very strong adhesive and it is actually waterproof so you can swim and shower and do whatever you want normally. Uh, the beauty is that um, it has an NFC chip and the reader, the NFC reader um, that you can buy separately, you can monitor your blood sugar levels um, as often as you like. Whenever you like, as often as you like, you've only um, sort of uh, pricked the skin once um, and, you, you know, you can do it as often as you like. And actually, because it's constantly monitoring, um, it will uh, give you an idea of what's going on. Um, is your sugar rising up? Is it dropping rapidly? Um, and you get better control. And I've loved that. My experience using that has been great. It has improved my, the control of my diabetes. But the problem with that is it's expensive. The NHS don't cover it for whatever reason. Um, and basically it costs me £50. And I've got to add £5 postage. So £55 per sensor. And that's including my uh, VAT discount I get for being a diabetic. So it's actually more expensive than that. Um, and the um, I have to buy the, the reader separately. The reader costs me £50 pounds that's a one-off cost um now if i had an android phone there is an app that i can use which in place of the reader so i could save 50 quid um because uh, android um allows uh, software developers access to the nfc the nfc reader in the um in the phone in their phones uh apple do not so as an iPhone user, I had to buy the standalone reader. So nonetheless, it costs me that much. And the sensor only lasts for two weeks, so 14 days. And that's £100 a month. And it soon adds up. Um, and 
it's a shame because there are some times where I just have to hold back and say, okay, not, it's not going to happen this month. I'll go back to the pricking my fingers. At the moment, I'm in a pricking my fingers stage. So um, that the holy grail has always been to develop a way to monitor blood glucose levels um, non-invasively without, you know, um, requiring blood or, or, or residual fluids. And there is, it's come out, CNET um, um, or CNBC, I said CNET, CNBC um, have reported that Apple um, actually have a secret team, a secret team operating out of an office in uh, Palo Alto, California. Um, so this, they're, they're, they're away from the main headquarters in Cupertino and they've been working on sensor technology for at least five years and they are close. And this is a way of monitoring blood glucose levels using a sensor that somehow um, works through the skin, much like um, the Apple Watch and the um, the, um, the the heart rate sensor. It, it, it shines a light, goes through the skin and it measures. So they, they're, they're developing a way to do that. And this secret team is made up of around 30 uh, biomedical experts um, who have been sort of hired, hired from um, uh, major sort of medical firms. And the idea is Apple are interested in, in, in incorporating these sensors into um, um, wearable devices. And the first thing that springs to mind is the Apple Watch. And we know that the, um, the Apple Watch um, was, was supposed to be released with a number of sensors. At the moment, it's got a heart rate sensor. There are rumors that the, the technology is already on board for it to measure other things, such as uh, blood oxygen level. Um, but they aren't allowed to advertise that feature because it hasn't yet been uh, gone through the uh, the regu uh, regulatory approval process. And so um, because of um, these sort of requirements, um, it says that Apple have a uh, team of people also um, uh, working um, with them on, on this blood uh, glucose monitor initiative um, to uh, help figure out uh, the regulatory pathways. Um, so they have, Apple are, are quite far ahead of this, apparently. It's very difficult to test, um, um, non-invasively test blood glucose levels um, and, and, and for them to remain accurate. Um, the sensor that I described, for example, the Freestyle Libra, um, it, it, while it's kind of accurate, it's kind of, it, it, it's not, um, sort of real time. It, it will only give information as to how your blood sugar level was probably 15 minutes ago, but it does give you guidelines. So Apple are looking at a way to really figure this out. They seem to be closed because they're actually doing, um, trials, uh, at clinical sites, um, in, in, in the USA. Um, and, and they seem to be quite far ahead. Now, this would be an absolute game changer. And imagine if they put this into the Apple Watch. I would pay big money to have this. I really would. It would change my life. It would change the life of every diabetic out there. It would it would help people generally in terms of looking at their diet and well-being. Um, and this would save the NHS a heck of a lot of money. There would be some resistance because there is big money involved with the current regime. One could argue that's why particularly diabetes um, treatment hasn't moved forward as quickly as it could. 
uh, there's a lot of money in the various test strips um, and glucose monitoring machines that are basically uh, paid for by the NHS. And, um, but nonetheless, that's just me being a conspiracy theorist. This would be an absolute game changer. Now, apparently, what makes this movie more interesting is that this came from Steve Jobs in the sense that Steve Jobs in uh, 2010 um, was um, approached uh, by the CEO of a company called Core, uh, who Apple actually acquired very quietly in 2010. Um, now, that CEO, and I've got his name here, it's Bob, Bob um, Messerschmidt. Schmidt, I think. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, he basically sent e Steve Jobs an email out of the blue about uh, sensor technologies uh, for health and wellness. As we know, Steve Jobs was very ill. Um, and yeah, later on, uh, that very CEO of um, Core, when Apple acquired it, uh, came on board with the Apple Watch team. So it does appear, now we don't have a timeline here, but it does seem like they're, they're, they're more far ahead um as as you know as, as as we would would expect them to be but it does appear that this is probably something coming to the apple watch and i am all over that to be quite honest i like i said i will pay big money for that because for me personally that would change my life and that would change my life for the better um so yep um that that like i said this news is is, is a couple of weeks old now but i didn't have an opportunity to mention it and i thought it was worth mentioning now, as Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference, WWDC, approaches, that's going to be in June, um, we hear more and more rumors about various services that Apple may be bringing to the table for iOS. Now, uh, there's been rumors for a while about Apple sort of, um, sort of flirting with the idea of building its own money transfer service, its own peer-to-peer -peer mobile payment service, much like if you imagine PayPal, how we can send money to people, uh, or even ping it. Um, now, um, there's been some um, some sources who who have leaked information that Apple have actually held discussions with uh, payment industry partners about um, launching such a service, and very and very closely they have been holding discussions with the likes of Visa about um, creating their own prepaid debit card, which would run on Visa's debit network, but it will be tied directly into uh, this service. Now. People are building this service as Apple Cash and it would allow um, iOS um, device users to simply send money to one another. And after the success of Apple Pay and no doubt the um, the financial cut that Apple receives on each transaction with Apple Pay, um, they're, they're very much interested in, in, in pushing this one step further. Now, the idea of having a prepaid card may work in a number of ways. Um, while I would imagine in iOS you would be able to just send money um, to someone based on their Apple ID, um, example, via iMessage or what have you, or a separate application, um, having a prepaid card is useful because um, you may... Um, they may want to attract people who don't yet have iOS devices, people who want to go into uh, bricks and mortar establishments who 
do not support Apple Pay or contactless payment, perhaps. Or maybe this is how it will work. Maybe it will be a prepaid debit card that you'll add to Apple Wallet. We're not entirely sure yet, but we know that these talks are quite far ahead. Now, Apple being an American company will obviously launch this like Apple Pay first in the USA. So I wouldn't get too excited uh, if you're in the UK. Um, we may hear an announcement, but we probably will, will be a year or so off from anything happening in the UK. Um, and Apple have their work cut out getting this, um, getting the, um, you know, uh, this on board in, in, in the United States. Um, like I said, they're, they're, they're discussing these, this very closely with Visa. Um, and they're has been some concerns it's not sitting well with um and i'm going to quote here um um someone from experian that it's not been sitting well with some bank executives um and um apparently some have raised concerns with visa during one of their annual summits um that that that, that you know that's not they, they uh feel that this is unfair um because um, they have spent a lot of money, banks have spent a lot of money ensuring that their cards were uh, top of wallet, so to speak. Um, so they're concerned that Apple will come ahead and sort of steamroll um, their business. Uh, again, um, I'm not quite sure if this will actually come to pass. There was actually some resistance to Apple Pay initially, but now every single, I mean, I remember Barclays, for example, who were holding out because uh, they had their own service, um, which didn't work, BPay. But now every single um, major um, bank in the UK uh, certainly supports Apple Pay. So I think, again, this is something that probably will be successful. It will be just a matter of time. I can see this sort of disrupting the likes of PayPal, and a lot of people will probably say deservedly so, considering the fees and the level of customer or lack of customer service that uh, PayPal uh, offers its customers. Um, this would disrupt the likes of PayPal. Um, I'm all for that, uh, to be quite honest. Um, but we'll see. Like I said, we'll see what's announced at WWDC. And um, like I said, it will take a while for anything like this to be implemented within the United Kingdom. It took um, I think an entire generation of iPhone went by before we actually received Apple Pay in the UK. Now, more news about possible, uh, well, more rumors about uh, possible things we might be seeing from Apple out of WWDC. Um, as you know, uh, the Amazon Echo uh, Home Assistant uh, product has been extremely popular. Um, that was quickly followed by the Google Home, which has been recently launched in the UK and is doing very, very well. So it does seem like there is a demand for these home assistants. Um, and everyone has been sort of wondering, where are Apple on this? Um, why do they not have something similar to offer? After all, they do have, um, you know, an, an, an AI um, personal assistant in, in, in the guise of Siri. And it'd be quite easy to bring something like that uh, at, into a standalone speaker product. And it does seem that Apple have been reporting on a Siri speaker uh, behind the scenes. And uh, recent news uh, claim that it has just received a green light. So um, Apple, um, and this story comes out of um, 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 an insider in Asia who claims that Apple have already sort of inked a contract with a local supplier to make these iOS-based um, Amazon Echo competitive products. 
Um, and the rumors say that this smart speaker um, is is actually in the process of being finalized and can very, could very well be unveiled uh, in WWDC uh, in June. That seems like a good point in time to do it because WWDC is a developers conference. And I would imagine that if such a product does exist, there would be a number of APIs that um, developers could tap into um, to so that their services, uh, for example, can work with this speaker um now um we don't know much else apart from that um we know that well that there's been some rumors of how this thing will look and they say it will take a number of design cues from the mac pro you know the um the cylinder the circular mac pro the, the tower um and um i would imagine it'll probably be white but white maybe it will come in a range of colors i don't know and apparently it's going to be um quite a high quality uh speaker and it's going to um so we you should be able to get some good sound out of it because the idea is also that it will work nicely with um apple music um and um it a number of um beats related features uh, will be included with this product and i'm not sure what beats related features are um but to me that does um suggest uh, something to do with um sound quality um and this is apparently according to various analysts going to be uh sort of targeting the higher end of the market so for example the um the echo the amazon echo is 150 quid um the um google home is 130 pounds and so they 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 thinking that this apple speaker will cost sort of upwards and towards of 175 to 200 pounds um now uh, apple insider sunny dixon um who always seems to uh, get uh, information uh, from the supply chains um is billing this as uh let's say it says this is going to be marketed as a siri slash airplay device um so i would imagine this thing will actually um um, support airplay so direct streaming uh, to the speaker from any ios device i would imagine it would work much like the um the amazon echo uh instead of hey um alexa it would be hey siri and i would imagine that also it would support the um w1 chip as well um now I think that um, obviously Apple Music is going to be a big part of this and to just speak to the speaker and tell it to play a playlist and to play various songs, it'll be great. I I hear other rumours and, and I'm not sure where these ones come from, uh, such as it will, for example, have sensors to detect uh, what room it is and be able to change conditions based on where it is. I'm, I'm not sure where that comes from. I'm not sure how that would work. Um, that seems a little bit outlandish. Um, I would imagine this thing will also work fully with HomeKit. So you'll be able to tell it to turn your lights on and off or to do various things. Um, and um, I, I would imagine um, that um, this will this will do. There will be something else that this thing will do. Um, Apple, uh, like I said, Apple always maybe late to the party but they make the biggest impression so there needs to be a killer feature or something that this thing will do that will outshine the existing products from google and amazon now i myself have been holding out on a home assistant simply because i am deeply invested in the apple ecosystem and i've been waiting for apple to um, introduce such a product 
I, uh, I'm very enthusiastic about this news. I'm looking forward to it. I would definitely purchase it. Um, I do, I'm a little bit afraid of how much this thing could possibly cost. And it seems to be a competitive market now. So one hopes that Apple remains sensible in their pricing. But I do think that WWDC will be the place to announce such a thing. Again, because developers need to be um, aware of what APIs exist. And also that would mean that don't expect it to be released around that period of time. It might be announced, but it'll probably be released in the autumn, for example, to give developers a chance to, to bake services into it. Um, now, um, I uh, think that Siri is a problem. Siri in its current um, form is a problem because it's Siri is not very smart. And I've said this before, um, Alexa and certainly Google, you know, the Google's okay. Google service seems to be a lot more intelligent than Siri. Some say that Siri isn't so intelligent because of Apple's commitment to privacy in that Google harvest a lot of information about users. Uh, and that's how it's artificial intelligent intelligence appears to be more intelligent. Um, but I think that we are going to see, um, some breakthroughs with Siri at WWDC, particularly when iOS 11 is announced. I think Siri is going to become a lot more intelligent. We have heard that Apple have teams based in Israel working on Siri's artificial intelligence. And I think this is all going to come together nicely at WWDC for iOS 11 and for this new speaker product. So um, this sounds exciting. I mean, the announcement of any new product uh, at Apple is exciting. And we know that it will tie in just beautifully to the existing ecosystem. On the subject of home assistance, there does appear to be some information, some leaked information concerning Amazon's follow up to their Echo product. Um a blog called uh, AFTV News has managed to unearth some low resolution images from Amazon server, which uh, purports to show the next Echo. Now, what this does show is a device, uh, a black device uh, that sort of stands up with a, a large speaker on, on its base and, uh, and above that a seven inch screen. Now, this seven inch screen seems to be displaying weather information and it says dinner with Judy. So someone's schedule and above that screen appears to be a, a lighter circular uh, shaped thing, which, um, which 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 to me looks like a camera. So it does seem that this Echo will have a screen and will have a camera. Um, it doesn't look particularly attractive um, and reaction to this leak um, hasn't been particularly enthusiastic. Um, I preferred the futuristic cylinder looking appearance of the original Echo, while this one looks a little clunky and somewhat retro. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes, have a look at it yourself. Um, but we don't know much about this. What we do know is that the follow up to Echo was codenamed or is codenamed Knight. Uh, night K-N-I-G-H-T and is expected to be released either later this month or in the next couple of months. The fact that these, server, this, these images appear, already appear to be on Amazon's server means that they must be um, preparing to um, under, announce something soon. And, um, you know, since these low resolution images um, have appeared online, um, there have been other people who have tweeted higher resolution images of, of this product. And I'm not sure if they've 
sort of done a bit of handiwork in Photoshop uh, to clean it up or, or whether the high resolution uh, images have been acquired again from Amazon themselves. Now, we don't, like I said, we don't have, know what this is going to offer. Um, we, we suspect that there will be a camera. Um, we suspect that this screen is going to obviously be a touch screen. There have been rumors that this new Echo will have uh, phone calling capabilities um, and video calling capabilities. But um, there was something beautifully um, simplistic about the original Echo, which which made it appealing to me. I feel like if this is the next one, they're trying to just cram too much into one to one box. And before you could just speak and, and talk to the Echo. Now, if, if with a screen, you're required to look at it and to interact with it um, in a tactile way. Um, you could just as easily do that with your iPad. So I'm I'm not sure where Amazon are going with this. Um, it, it it like I said retro. Because, you know, what, what springs to mind is, is one of those sort of old-fashioned video phones. You remember those old internet video phones that um, BT and Amstrad, um, you know, introduced to market years ago. That they didn't go down too well. This is what this thing is reminding me of. But, you know, what? You know, when, when Amazon are ready to make an official announcement, I'm sure that they will make this look as attractive as possible. And we'll see exactly what their vision is for this follow-up product. Now, moving back to iPhone news, um, there have been a number of very interesting uh, leaks um, concerning Apple's next generation iPhone. Uh, I won't call it iPhone 8 because we have no idea what it's going to be called, but it will apparently be a premium model iPhone that will be launched alongside uh, their typical upgrade, in which case the typical upgrade would be the 7S and 7S Plus. So this will be a, 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 an individual premium model, um, which is going to be um, you know, exceeding five five inch screen. Now, we have had a number of schematics leaked um, and these schematic diagrams uh, do confirm a lot of these rumors they do confirm that the iphone will uh have an edge-to-edge -edge display now um much like the samsung have with their galaxy s8 at the moment um now the rumors uh, do do suggest that um this display the display itself is going to be a flexible plastic oled display uh rather than the traditional lcd displays they've offered before which will mean um, it'll be less power hungry it'll have a more vibrant display a better um the higher contrast ratio uh, colors will pop a lot more and in general it means we may have a thinner device um, what the schematics suggest is that the actual uh, iphone will be about as thin as an iphone 7 um, now it also um, uh, suggests that the uh, confirms that the home button the front of the iphone will be removed because the entire body of the phone is consumed by the screen. Now here's where things get interesting. The rear of the uh, schematic diagram um, shows a dual camera lens. Now we've seen the dual camera uh, lenses um, on the iPhone 7 Plus and that was used uh, for portrait mode, the depth of field bokeh effect and for uh, an optical zoom. Now instead of a horizontal uh, configuration the dual lenses are in a vertical configuration on the rear of the iphone and it looks a little bit odd uh, at first glance but you know one would ask what what does this mean well tim cook has given a lot of clues um, about apple's interest in augmented reality uh, virtual reality but primarily augmented reality and it 
well, to me, it, it seems quite clear that uh, an iPhone with its cameras, its dual cameras in this sort of configuration may very well serve that purpose. Um, it could it could be the case that the the vertical cameras uh, are, are arranged as so uh, so that uh, there is they achieve a 3D perspective uh, in landscape mode uh, for VR and, and AR apps. So we don't know exactly what Apple's plans are yet, but um, Apple don't tend to move components around uh, for no reason at all. So that does sound very exciting. Um, I mean, we there are other things as well that um, this iPhone um, is, is it promises to bring us, um, like iris facial or gesture recognition. There's nothing in the schematics that suggests that, and that would be again a lot to do with the processor. Um, However, looking at the, closely at the schematics, particularly the rear of the iPhone, we do see something that will suggest that um, wireless charging will be supported. And again, that's been another one of those long rumours concerning the next iPhone. And it appears to be something that resembles uh, something that will support uh, the standard Qi wireless charging. Um, whether Apple make it compatible with Qi or not, and I don't know, but it does seem that it will operate in the same way. Now, um, Qi has been uh, widely available on, on, on various Android devices. So again, this is nothing new, but Apple like to make the bigger impression coming late to the party. So they'll probably refine it and, and make it more reliable or more, more efficient. Um, now, Here's also where things get interesting. So, well, before I talk about that, I also I'll mention the iPhone itself. So basically, um, we're looking. This iPhone is not going to not going to be um, an aluminium iPhone like the current seven series. It, they're going back to a glass body, much like the iPhone four, and they're going to have a um, a polished frame like the iPhone four and the iPhone um, five series. Um, which is going to be similar to the stainless steel frame on the Apple Watch, on the standard Apple Watch. Um, now, the going to the interesting part of the rear of the camera, the rear of the the, the iPhone again, is that um, these we have various versions of these schematic diagrams. So, and both versions are identical except for one thing. One shows just below the Apple logo at the rear of the device a a circular. Uh, shape which suggests to me that that is a touch id sensor so worryingly enough that would mean a touch id sensor on the rear much like samsung have done with their galaxy s8 which would be awful now apple need touch id for services such as apple pay but to have it placed on the back would be absolutely awful at the front great you can unlock your phone literally by just pushing a button and, 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 and it authenticates you and you get in straight away. Now, we know that Apple want to find a way to put the Touch ID sensor below, beneath the screen. Now, we have heard that they are having troubles doing that. And I was confident that, okay, Samsung were unable to do that with the S8, but if anyone was able to do it, Apple would be able to do it. But I think Apple are are probably close, but they are pushed for time. I think they want these iPhones to release um, the regular period of time as they do, which is the autumn. But I think this poses a problem to them. Now, Apple are known to not make, well, the Apple Steve Jobs era are known not to make any compromises and they'll quite happily delay a product until it is ready. Tim Cook's Apple has operated a little bit differently and that it 
um, will make compromises. Like, for example, the iPhone 7. There's something very suspicious about the iPhone 7 in that it didn't really offer anything new. I am actually wondering whether, again, this new, um, you know, revolutionary new design that we expect to see with the 8 or the next generation iPhone, um, we were supposed to see with the 7. But nonetheless, they're having issues getting Touch ID under the screen. They would prefer to have it under there, but it seems like they have a plan B option and, and that's to to put the, put it on the rear. Or perhaps the whole thing is a hoax. Perhaps, I mean, we know Apple are the kings that controlled leaks. Perhaps they're deliberately leaking this information for us to expect the thing to appear on the rear. But then they make a joke at um, the press event for the new iPhone and say, you weren't expecting us to put it on the back, were you? Who knows? I hope that's the case. But it seems there are two options out there. And they have seem to be having another issue uh, with this iPhone in that um, the availability of OLED panels, which means it can either launch in extremely constrained supply or there will have to be a delay to uh, meet demand. And we're now hearing rumors that this special edition iPhone could very well be released later in the year to the uh, the plan 7S and 7S Plus models, which seems strange to me because that would mean that the they will cannibalize the sales of the 7S um, models. And the fact that people, when they buy these things, often buy them under a, a mobile phone a contract with their mobile phone network means they will tie themselves into a two-year deal only to find out there's actually a better iPhone released uh, months from their their purchase of the inferior one. So I, I, I can't see them doing this, to be honest. Um, so those have been interesting schematics and we, we generally know what we're getting really, but the, the main question is how we're getting it in the form of Touch ID and when we're getting it in, in as to whether Apple will uh, meet the autumn release date. Now, there have been a few concerning um, blog reports, articles, um, um, concerning the Apple Watch. Um, and there's been a little bit of a panic, a um, little bit of a worry that the Apple Watch is losing its shine. Namely because a number of big name um, applications have uh, suddenly dropped support for the wearable. Now, um, these applications include Google Maps, eBay and Amazon, um, who all before offered dedicated Apple Watch apps and now don't. Now, to me, the most concerning would be Google Maps because that just makes sense on a watch. And um, after these various blog um, bloggers um, have, have published their pieces, Google Maps did, Google did make an announcement saying that they hope to reintroduce a Google Maps watch app in the near future. But um, and, and again, there wouldn't be a rush really because the the Apple uh, Maps app on the watch it works a lot better as far as the watch is concerned. But, you know, we've lost eBay and we've lost Amazon. But then again, I ask myself, who actually who actually used um, the watch apps for eBay and Amazon to make purchases? I mean, how cumbersome would that be? Um, I understand eBay works well for when you're, you have an auction and you want to uh, be updated with the progress of that auction. But that happens anyway without the dedicated watch app because it happens as an extension of the um, the iPhone app. When you get alerts about your auction, someone's outbidded you or whatever, um, or you've won the auction, that will get pushed to your watch anyway. So the idea of dedicated apps was never a good one. And I myself personally find I don't use many Apple Watch, dedicated Apple Watch apps. The exception is probably um, City Mapper, 
um, for obvious reasons. It's nice to to follow your your, your journey and be directed uh, on your wrist. But other than that, I avoid the apps completely. I don't tend to go to the the nest of apps. You know, the the main app screen. I tend to only use those in my dock. And the ones in my dock that I use the most are things like the timer and, um, you know, the music app and, and, and the fitness app. And, you know, those are all stock apps. Those aren't third party apps. Um, everyone wanted to get on the bandwagon with the Apple Watch when it first launched. Understandably, it was a new product. It was very exciting. And the mistake Apple made was thinking that they could replicate what, what happened with the iPhone in having a dedicated app store for this device and have a hand in, uh, you know, the, the, uh, apps are plenty, but it, it, it was, it proved not to be that type of device. In actual fact, the, there was a really confused message when the Apple Watch was launched. It was supposed to be this magical all-in-one device that did everything, but really, in reality, it wasn't. It actually operates best as a, a notification device when your phone's in do not disturb or silent mode that's that, that's its strength really and now there seems to be a push in terms of health and fitness features um but i don't again i don't believe it is primarily a health and fitness device because the health and fitness specific features are not comprehensive enough yet and obviously you have things like fitbits which are a lot cheaper and so you know, uh, I, I I I I'm not overly concerned. The Apple Watch is now at a sensible price. I think you can get a Series One, Series Zero, basic sports model um, at a sensible price. It's not a luxury item. Apple tried to push it as a luxury item. That didn't work. It is not even a dedicated standalone platform. It is merely an extension of the iPhone. It is merely an iPhone accessory, and the you know no, apps on the watch don't work complications on, on on the watch face they they work you can have um um on the watch face you can depending on what what watch face you pick a modular seems to be a very popular one you can have a number of complications showing you you know the weather i've get one alerting me as to whether it's going to rain and what the temperature is i have one showing me my current heart rate you know you can have one showing you um your, your calendar and, and then all sorts you can you have that and you want that information at a glance, what you don't want to be doing is trawling through a screen full of apps, zooming in and out, trying to tap on a very small circular icon, waiting for that app to load, all manner of touching and swiping just to, you know, you're not going to be using your watch in that manner. And you're definitely not going to be using your watch to make Amazon purchases. So I believe the Amazon, um, the Amazon, the Apple Watch is starting to find its focus. Um like I said, health and fitness seems to be a main push in terms of the way it's been marketed. But I do believe we need some more health and fitness sensors in there. We need, we need better applications uh, that offer a lot more in terms of health and fitness. For example, um, I use a fitness app to track my workouts, but I thought I just want to see how many steps I've taken for the day. I have to go into the fitness app and then force push and then display, you know, steps rather than calories and all of that stuff. Or I can just go to the um, the activity app and, on my iPhone and, 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 and freely touch that, look at today and I see how many steps. Why isn't there an easier way for me to see at a glance, much like a Fitbit, on a complication, in fact, that'd be great, how many steps I've taken so far for the day? Again, so it hasn't been thought through very clearly. I think it will improve, but right now it is nothing more than, um, you know, its, it's main strength is that 
of a notification device. So I won't be too panicked that various developers are stopping, are pulling their dedicated watch apps because I feel like earlier on, everyone wanted to get onto the bandwagon simply because this is new and this is exciting. Now, some dabbled, some tried to find, you know, uh, made, made it successful, others didn't. I remember there were games launched on the Apple Watch. I mean, that's ridiculous in itself. So um, you're going to find a lot of apps will drop off. Um, but the ones that will remain are ones that actually work well for the platform. And like I said, CityMap is a great example. And um, on sort of continued bad news for Apple, bad or good i'm not sure it depends how you interpret it so apple this week had their um their their earnings call and their financial earnings call and basically um their uh, the iphone has been suffering in terms of growth um now one month needs to put this into perspective um the iphone has been doing well in terms of revenue in actual fact um the iphone um, generated um, uh, 52.9 billion US dollars in in revenue, which is um, a 4.5% increase. So in terms of, for example, profit margin, it's been doing a lot better. And, um, and that was during the first three months of um, 2017 when they sold 50.76 million iPhones. Um, so they so the iphone is still um doing very well um but sales are flat so if you imagine it's making a money but not um in terms of the rate of sales in terms of growth um it's actually um um shrunk now the reason why it's quite funny because tim cook was actually quite frank in terms of the reason why um, and this is very unlike Apple. Um, so Tim Cook's excuse, and maybe it's partly true, is that um, we're seeing what we believe to be a pause in purchases of iPhone, which we believe is due to the earlier and much more frequent reports about future iPhones. So basically, um, his reasoning is that um, everyone is waiting for the super duper new revamped iPhone, which is why they didn't buy the iPhone 7 in droves. Um, that might be partially true, but, um, it's not as simple as that. I think perhaps the iPhone 7 did too closely resemble the iPhone 6 series. Um, and consumers aren't necessarily, the majority of, you know, your average consumer is not necessarily interested in what's going on underneath the hood. The iPhone 7 was a lot, was a lot superior, um, internally to the iPhone 6s, but they want to feel like they have some, something new. And the iPhone 7 looked too similar to the iPhone 6S and the iPhone 6 before it. So I think that's the case. Um, I also think that there's not been anything terribly exciting that's been introduced to the iPhone line as of late. No killer feature. The iPhone 7 was good. Water, you know, water resistance is great. Is that a killer feature? Most likely not. Most likely not. Um, but it was very interesting that Tim Cook had excuses ready to hand. But then again, Apple are answerable to their shareholders. And also, um, 
something that really strikes me as odd is that Tim Cook seemed to be surprised at the um, the level of interest in the larger iPhone, the iPhone um, 7 Plus series. Um, and that's what they're attributing to uh, the increased revenue um, in because in, they, for example, um, have been particularly popular in China. They like large phones over there. Um, and so, but Tim Cook seemed surprised about it, which is strange because... Um, you would think that after you know, three generations of iPhones that offer the larger model, they could see the trend that these things were becoming increasingly popular. And um, to the point where Apple actually encouraged people to buy the larger model iPhone. Um, and that annoyed people like me who I just like a phone to be pocketable in my, you know, I'm on, I've, I've, I own an iPad. I don't need to carry a phablet and a tablet around me there today. So I want my phone to be a phone. I like to use it one handed on a crowded tube, but I like the latest technology, spending lots of money on, on, on these premium Apple products. And they, it annoyed me with the, um, the six, um, series where, um, optical, uh, image stabilization was only offered with the, um, the, the six plus, and it annoyed me with the 7 series where, okay, the, but the basic the smaller 7 did get optical image stabilization, but then they included a dual camera only on um, the 7 Plus, the dual camera and a higher resolution screen, etc. So if you're going to include the, um, the latest and greatest technology only in a larger model, is it really any surprise that people, when they're going to come to spend this amount of money, end up buying a larger model? Now, it would be interesting if Apple simply, you know, launched the same iPhone just in a different number of sizes. Um, then we can see, uh, you know, what, what, what trends will be followed. But I don't believe there is a massive demand for larger screens as such. Um, I think it's a case of, well, essentially the larger one is, is, is the superior iPhone. Um, and like I said, they've deliberately done that. They've deliberately withheld features for the, large, the Plus models, uh, which is a bad decision, I think. Uh, and I'm actually unfair to those who have iPads, I think. But um, it, I'm, I'm, I just don't understand why he's surprised of it. And there seems to be a lot of confusion at Apple at the moment um, with no clear vision. And I hate to say, oh, well, Steve Jobs would have done differently. But Steve Jobs would have had a very clear, distinct vision for this product line. Um, now... The iPad is suffering again now. Year on year after year, there seems to be a decline in sales, and sales now for the iPad are the lowest they've ever been. And I think because mainly people just don't upgrade those things as often as they can. As a, well, basically, people use them very casually. People use the iPad primarily as a media consumption device to check their Facebook, to send a few emails, maybe to, I don't know, write a letter or so in a word processor. They don't need to update year after year. They don't even need to update every two years. Heck, they don't need to update every three years. Um, and newer iPads do offer newer features, you know, picture-in-picture, um, picture, split screen. But, you know, your average consumer isn't particularly interested in that because they can still check their Facebook on their existing iPad. And the problem is Apple are trying to push the iPad as your primary computer, as something that you're going to use for your day-to-day -day work. You don't need a laptop. You can use an iPad Pro. And so this is the paradox. The sales are declining with the iPad, 
Yeah, Apple are pushing the very premium priced and it can cost up to a thousand pounds depending on what configuration you go for iPad Pro as a laptop replacement. But clearly that message isn't getting across to consumers and it's really strange. Now, to be fair to Apple, they did announce um, a, a lower priced iPad um, um, and they announced that in March. And to be fair to them, you know these these financial results um do not uh take that into consideration we're yet to see um you know how 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 the sales of this lower price one um will, will, will change things and this lower price one is fairly cheap because it starts out at it's um 339 pounds and it is the successor to the ipad air 2 um but again this would this is a good price for entry but i just don't believe that um people who, who exist in ipad owners are going to jump out you know they're going to jump out in droves and try and you know purchase this as an upgrade why would they need to upgrade you can argue that there are some ipad owners out there who are still clinging on to their ipad 2s and their ipad third generations and i totally understand that they're probably due for an upgrade but they will probably go for that £339 model, I can't see them jumping to the iPad Pro and spending, you know, £700 upwards. Um, but we will see. I mean, it'll, it'll be clear over the next year or so, actually. Uh, we'll see if that lower price iPad makes a difference. But the problem is the iPad is a very confused product. It is not what Apple want it to be right now. And I think the main reason for that is iOS. It essentially just runs iOS like an iPhone. Um, you know, you look at it, you look at your 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 rows of icons your, your columns of icons and you have all that sort of screen estate that's not you know that that's not being used correctly it's not there, there should be a more optimized version of ios for the ipad there should be a special version of ios for the ipad um is this perhaps where microsoft have it right where they have made um um win, you know hybrid devices hybrid tablet computer devices all running windows 10 do we need to see the ipad pro certainly running a version of os 10 i don't know but the ipad continues to dec decline in sales and you know what to many that doesn't make sense because everyone we know has an ipad right and we see ipads all over the place on the tube and we you know we commute all over the place but the problem is these people do not upgrade their iPads regularly. And that is why it's really suffering in terms of growth. But I think um, it's too early to tell. I think the excuse of people, well, well, if the same thing happens next year, then after the lower price new model, then I think the excuse of people don't upgrade every year is going to wear a little thin. There's probably something else going on with the iPad. Um, it needs to offer something else. But Microsoft, um, but Apple, sorry, have been so adamant that they are not going to release a hybrid product. They're not going to make OS X um, have touchscreen support. So will they go back on what they've said? They've done it before. I don't know. Anyway, that's all we have time for for this week. Um, thank you for joining us for this edition of The Intersection. Um, my name is Jonathan Wildman, and you can contact us in a variety of ways if you have any feedback, any questions, or anything you you know you want us to, to cover in, in future episodes. Um, you can contact us via Skype. You can leave a voicemail. Our account is feedback at intersectioncast.com. You can actually email us at that address, feedback at intersectioncast.com if you prefer. You can leave questions via our website and you can also find information about how to subscribe if you haven't done so already by going to our website, 
intersectioncast.com. Um, we are listed on all major podcast directories. If social media is more your thing, you can follow us on Facebook. That's uh, facebook.com slash intersectioncast. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our account is at Let's Intersect. So thank you very much for joining me again. And until the next time, that's a wrap. The Intersection. Intersection.